MTV had a show called Buzzbin, and they would showcase random bands. And most of the time, you didn't care for it or it was weird or whatever. But this song came on by a band called Nirvana, and it was called cool. Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> and the first time that we heard it, it it really you knew you were in one of those moments that people will go, "Do you remember where you were when?" <laughs> And I remember where I was when, and I remember going, oh my gosh, something has shifted. Welcome back, everyone, to uh, episode 20. Hey, that's a nice round number, 20. I never thought we'd get to 20, to be honest. So here we are, episode 20 of the uh, CCM podcast. CCM is short for Central Coast Music, not contemporary Christian music, which uh, you some may, may think of when we say CCM. So uh, I'm your host, Matt Vargo, and um, today, as with all of our episodes, we're going to get to know a musician here on the Central Coast, um, usually singer-songwriters, but uh, people who organize uh, music events and anything like that. That's what this podcast is all about. So today's guest, he's a man of many uh, vocations, hobbies. He's like an onion. You peel back one layer and you find another. Uh, he's a singer-songwriter. He hosts uh, Vine Street Music Nights in Paso. He's founder and president of Earthshine. Man, what a resume. It's Mike Campa. How's it going? <laughs> it's good, man. Thanks How for about having you? me. Yeah. Uh, this is always my first question to every guest. How was uh, the drive into my place this afternoon? Long, dusty, winding, and beautiful. And uh, I was wondering mostly what happens when the rains come. Ah, yes, we uh, canned food. Canned food? Oh. No, that's a lie. That's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually not that bad. I, I did see the helicopter pad out front, so that helicopter must be how pad. you get in and out. Right, the hell, yeah. Yeah, I have a helicopter. You know, that's good. Nadia's flying it right now. Okay, cool. To uh, to Woods where she's yeah. volunteering. Tony Stark over here. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, no, it's actually surprisingly pretty easy to to drive when it's wet. The driveway. The problem is, sorry, the dirt road. The problem is the driveway down here. The dirt part. We got stuck last year no, trying to park down here. We were warned. We're like, oh, I'm sure it's fine. No, our car got stuck in the mud. So, yeah. Not too bad. But no, it was a great drive-in. I, I think it's a really pretty area, and uh, I think it's a really great place to be doing this from. Oh, and, it's, uh, it's nice. Yeah. yeah. No complaints. Uh, cool. So uh, every episode, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, um, we uh, Mike will get to play two songs today, so you get to hear his music. Uh, we'll get to know him and musical background and uh, so on and so forth oh you're not in the witness protection program are you not that i'm aware of <laughs> not that you're aware of not that, that you sounds, should be aware of sounds like something someone in the witness protection program that would might say be true that's right <laughs> so on this show we get to learn how good of a liar people are how good their backstory is that the government has given them that's really that's actually what this podcast is so. very nice <laughs> all right does that sound good to you mike you're ready, uh, ready to you know, give us your fake life story. Yes. Yeah. I've been rehearsing it for about three years now, so <laughs> I'm pretty good. good at telling it. Very good. Very good. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So where uh, where are you from? Where were you born? Where'd you grow up? 
I mean, I guess I was. I guess I could say that I'm Central Coast, but I, I definitely was born down in Riverside. My dad was oh. stationed there in the Air Force. I was born on March Air Force Base. Um, I guess seven miles from Paris, California. They used to tell me. It's just as beautiful as the one in France. I That's, promise. I'm sure it is. Yes, the Snow <laughs> Eiffel Tower. I we moved to Paso when I was three, and then San Miguel when I was four, and I pretty much grew up in San Miguel wow. from four to fourteen. I didn't know anyone was from there. I'm from San Miguel. I love <laughs> San Miguel. I still go back. It's a great place. It's one of the few places where you can go back to and. The nostalgia isn't just in your mind. It's actually physically there. The town doesn't change. <laughs> Nothing has changed. So I can see all the places that I grew up, and uh, it, it is. It's a great uh, trip to go back there. And um, So then I moved to Paso in 92, finished up uh, at Paso Robles High, and then I went up to Humboldt to go to my JC and spent six years doing my two-year schooling there, and then... <laughs> came back uh, to Paso and finished up at Cal Poly and uh, pretty much been in Paso ever since then. Cool. You are uh, you might be one of the first people on this podcast, we're at episode 20, that's actually from the area. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think right now off the top of my head. My mom's the only other one who's listened to every episode, I think. <laughs> Maybe she <laughs> could tell me, but um, I don't know. if You might be the first. That's crazy. Yeah. Someone's going to tell me I'm wrong. Yep, I'm, def- I'm definitely local but, around here. That's cool. There's a few of us. There's definitely a few of us around here, yeah. musicians that are uh, pretty much born and bred and uh, love this area, seen the changes that have happened. I think it's great. I think it's great that people come here, and uh, they're just making it richer. Um, that's and- funny. You're not complaining about the traffic? No. Because <laughs> that's what people from here do. <laughs> sure, but I know all the back roads. Yeah. <laughs> so if you know all the back roads, it's just a joy. They don't know them. Yeah, yeah. So they don't know how to get to them, so that's still your- it still feels very... Small town. I lived in Templeton for a little bit, and every time I wanted to feel like I wasn't part of the hustle and bustle of the modern Central Coast, you just take the back roads on the way home. Oh, I love and, that. Um, you just you just disappear into them. I'm all about that. So, like, just like your place here. I mean, you're basically five minutes out from a, kind of like a major bustling area, but you wouldn't know once you get out here. Yeah, you yeah, know? absolutely. Yeah, looking out the window, it's like, oh, I think I see a house yep. somewhere yep. on the hills. Actually, I was a little bit worried. Um, I'm glad I saw the other podcasts on your YouTube channel before I came here because it is a little bit like, are there banjos? Uh, should I be worried? <laughs> yeah, you brought your banjo, right? I, I did bring my banjo. Yeah. It's just in a guitar-sized case, <laughs> That's right? That's right. Yeah, it's a, it's a rite yeah. of passage out yeah. here. Um, who was it? One of them said they thought they might have a deliverance moment when exactly. they came out here. It, I've actually never seen that movie, but I was I was given oh, the great. recap of it. It's it's so. wonderful. I, you know what? We've all of us haven't seen all the movies that are out there, but I highly recommend it. It's a great adventure film. It's got a great musical number there of mm. dueling banjos. It cannot be missed. Uh, that's really the kid there. He really is playing it, and uh, oh, I cool. highly recommend that you. Uh, that you check it out, even if for nothing else you get to see Burt Reynolds without a mustache. Oh my gosh. I thought yeah. he was born with that thing, right? He was born with that thing. He <laughs> shaved it off just for that role. That's amazing. Um, uh, it's funny. Musicians will always can always tell when there's a musician in a movie. Mm-hmm. It's like if you play if music, you, oh, any absolutely. kind of stringed instrument or piano, you just right away within like a split second, you know well, if they're actually playing. Unless the editing's really bad, but you always you always can tell, and uh, they'll just because non-musicians will just put their hands kind of like in the position of the third position, like they're playing at yeah. G, and then they'll just kind of. Move them up and down, and it doesn't change. And this is here. We're gonna have the every episode where I put stuff off the rails on my own, even though I'm supposed to be 
guiding this ship here. That's right. Uh, I saw this hilarious video uh, from some other country uh, where there's a singer on stage and it's a chance she was lip syncing. Let's say it was probably a really good chance. But then it yep. cuts, you hear this electric guitar solo, this sick electric guitar solo come in. And after like three seconds, the camera cuts to this guy on a classical guitar <laughs> with no, nothing plugged into it, with his fingers doing like a bass walk, right. pretending to play this yep. electric guitar solo. Oh man, it was hilarious. Well, I'm sure some but, people were convinced. And I'm, that's all that matters. That's true, yeah. Mm-hmm. Suspension of belief or disbelief, disbelief or yeah. whatever that phrase is. Um, okay, so this is cool because, uh, so almost, like I said, almost everybody has not been from here that I've interviewed. So I usually ask them, like, what was it that got you to, like, stay in the Central Coast? What is it about the Central Coast that, like, you know, that you like or whatever. So this is interesting because I'd like to hear your perspective as someone who grew up here and you've decided to stay here after leaving for sure. college. Like, what is it, I guess, that made you come back or that keeps you here? Well, or? I can actually tell you a couple different things. Um, so when you grow up here, I mean, what do you, you don't know if you're if a fish that lives in water doesn't know the water's wet. <laughs> so I grew up here. It was I grew up in San Miguel. I grew up in Paso. I wouldn't say it was quite the wine region it was actually right. my dad built one of the first wineries in san miguel oh. um, now it's called pretty smith or i don't even know what it's called now but it was called mission view and at that point in time there were only like two or three wineries in all of the area that's something that's really uh, come up as of late but yeah i grew up here and uh at some point in time the way i ended up in Humboldt was my friend had had gone to school up there and we had he had come down to visit, and I was so content living in Paso Robles. I, even said, I remember having a conversation with him uh, when he was here and saying, Oh, I love it here. I'll probably be here the rest of my life. And he was down for a wedding uh, in Turlock. So we went to a wedding in Turlock on a Saturday. And Sunday we woke up, and he said, Hey, Humboldt's just a stone's throw away from here, which it wasn't. <laughs> I was going to say, Oh! Check and so out. we ended up driving up to Humboldt uh, that night, and specifically to a town called Ar- called Arcata. And I'll say this: that we went up there on the most atypical Arcata Humboldt day. It was beautiful. It was sunny. It was <laughs> magic hour. It was like the smallest town you could ever imagine. And we went and got burritos. We went and hung out at the beach, and just pretty much, you know existed in the town for the best part of any day that Humboldt's ever had. (laughs) That night, uh, I drove home. He slept all the way home, so it was about a nine-hour drive, and I decided to move to Humboldt that night. It's a magical land. Why would I not? I just decided, you know what? I was working as a reporter at a newspaper at the time. I said, I'm putting my two-week notice in. I'm going to save up some money at another summer job, and I'm moving up there. And I did, and it was awesome, and I loved it. And I would still come down every, you know, whenever I could, 14-hour bus rides home wow. to go uh, check out here. And at some point in time, I did end up back here. And I will tell you this story, that I was working with my dad in construction, and I had been doing a job out in Shandon, and I had to be out in Avila. So I was taking my dad's truck and ended up going up the grade, and I just had one of those moments. There's one of those moments where you just look off the grate and you see, wow, this is a beautiful place. So you're I mean, coming I, south. Over I, I'm the grade. heading south, yeah. yes. Yeah. And I thought, I've been here my whole life and never 
I really started appreciating the beauty of nature when I went up to Humboldt and seen all the redwoods and the yeah. ferns and just how beautiful it was. But for the first moment, I went, whoa, this is really awesome here. Yeah. And I had this moment where I was staring off into the into the hills and into the all the trees, and I didn't notice a semi with two flatbed trailers behind it going about 35 miles an hour up the grade. And I wasn't. I was going probably 65 yeah. and gaining speed. I didn't look in my left lane. I just cut it off because I knew that otherwise I was going to hit that semi. Yeah. And he shaved off the side of my side passenger doors oh and everything. Oh, my gosh. Barely, barely missed him in the sense that Yikes. I didn't, like, smack into him. Yeah. But the entire side of the truck was gone. I got up to the top of the grade, and he stopped, and I stopped, and he come out, and he looks at his vehicle, and he says, there's nothing wrong with mine. I said, <laughs> I don't care about mine, and we moved on from wow. that. And uh, my dad wasn't exactly upset with me. He says, you're alive, and that's all that matters. Yeah. Door was Doors wouldn't open or anything like that, but uh, we were fine. But yeah, that was the moment that I really realized, wow, <laughs> you got I distracted. love so the bad. Central Coast. I love this area, and I'm happy to call it home again. Very cool. It's a good story. There you go. That's better than this, than any story I have. I will say that view, though, that you're talking about is uh, also one of the things when I saw it the first time. You yeah. saw it not for the first time, not for the first but time. for the first time with new eyes, That's right. I guess. But when I saw that for the first time, I was like, holy moly, Yeah. I need to live here. And that yeah. was 11 years ago. That's right. <laughs> and I finally, last year, you finally made it up. got to move up. Yeah, that's a great, that's a beautiful spot right there. Um, all right. So let's, how about we hear your first song? And we'll learn about your why your music sounds the way it does after the first song. Sounds good. Sound like a plan. Sounds like a perfect plan. Cool. Give us a moment, everyone. All right. Mike's ready to play song numero uno for us. Yeah, uh, this one's called uh, Making My Mistakes. And I would say if it's about anything, it's about uh, dealing with being a songwriter and dealing with just you know, the critical process. Sometimes you play stuff and people have some issues and sometimes you play stuff and uh, we are our own worst critics. So we'll take little things people might say and we'll make them into these these big giant things. And uh, this song's kind of about just kind of pushing that stuff away. Um, mostly I like to talk about stuff that really bothers me a lot. And I feel like if I put it into a song, you kind of on, almost minimize it. You make it into something that um, doesn't hurt you as much. And uh, that's definitely what this song's about. It's called Making My Mistakes. Oh, 
hated the line till you hate the taste of energy. Rejects the love like weapons used for surgery. Force feed the line till you hate the taste of energy. Rejects the love like weapons used for surgery. They're at it again and hoping to see a subtle release from all the lies you built, the truth concealed, the pain for all to view. From all the lies you built, the truth concealed, the pain for all to view. as positive and I do think that um that that song is is about like <clears throat> ultimately that criticism is what creates a better version of you a great better version of your songs it's not personal it feels personal it's not an attack and you know at some point in time you'll you'll look back on it and go you know what the things they were saying were right and the way that I took it probably was the right way to take it for where I end up now, but I probably took it a little bit too personally. Mm. Uh, but how do you not take it personally? It's, yeah. an, it's a you. criticism about you, yeah. you know? And I don't think people are meaning to criticize, but if you're trying to be a better artist, if you're trying to be a better musician, if you're not taking that criticism to heart, I don't think that you're ultimately going to improve. I think you're going to be stuck and, and satisfied. And I don't think that's a way to uh, better anybody's art. You know, at some point in time, you should. 
yeah. accept what you are and, and, and embrace what you are. But there's always an opportunity to learn something from the little things people tell you and, uh, you know, get better. Yeah. So I just started recording halfway through that because I thought it was some good stuff. So <laughs> to catch up the listener, I don't, we're going to see how I edit this together to make it make sense. Uh, Mike, Mike finished his song and said, oh, there were a few mistakes, but hey, that's what the song's about. Yeah. And I was sharing that I have a song also about, you know, all the all the things I compensate for, too, uh, because I'm insecure about things. Anyway, yeah. that's how we got to where Absolutely. we were but right it, there. But like, I said, like you said, it's those compensations that um, they make us rounder, you know. They yeah. fill us out, and uh, I think that they're important uh, as for us as people. And I think we can look and, and, and create and like nitpick ourselves or whatever, but ultimately all of that just it just makes you a richer person, uh, more involved in what you're doing. And uh, it is difficult though to um, to have all these things that when people are, are being critical or we ourselves are being critical, how to separate that and uh, kind of maintain your composure and uh, hopefully get something out of it. This is uh, since you said that. Uh, you just reminded me. How, how often at a gig where you play do you get unsolicited? Uh, what, what would you call them? Suggestions or uh, <laughs> you know people like, oh hey you should do this. Like how often does that happen to you? I get it quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and again, that's kind of what that song's about. Is those are those unsolicited? You yeah. know, hey you could do this to improve. And it sometimes <laughs> it's difficult to um, separate someone's. Uh, kindness from what seems like it's mean sometimes yeah and uh a lot of of my playing these days is kind of a result of people's attempts to make what i do more palatable or you know i used to um i used to play with the pick oh yeah nonstop. Uh, I only knew how to play with the pick. I have a specific pick that i always play with it's called their dava picks they don't break they flex a lot interesting and uh, I used to play <clears throat> almost predominantly all instrumental stuff. Mm. And when I went in to record it, it turned out that it was really loud on the microphones. Oh, the like pit, really the pick? loud. And and yeah. the person that was recording me was like, "I love what you're playing. There's a lot of nuance in there. There, you know, there's a lot of subtlety going on. But I can't hear it because you're 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 playing pretty aggressively." Mm. And a lot of it just gets lost in all the other notes that you've got going on. Yeah. So at that point in time, something happened in my life that probably changed everything. And that was that I broke my finger. Oh. I broke the ring finger on my picking hand. Got it, yeah. So playing football, I, I for about 52 weeks, we did a flag football uh, <laughs> league here at uh, Barney Schwartz Park in Paso Robles. And at some point in time, uh, my finger got either got wrapped up in a flag or hit against somebody's leg. Oh. But whatever it was, the finger went the wrong way. Yikes. And I had to have surgery on it. And I had a pen sticking out of my finger. And at that point, I couldn't strum. Yeah. It would be not good for the finger. And so I was already kind of um, messing around with finger style. Mostly I was trying to do it right and i quote really, unquote. Quote unquote, <laughs> right and i realized does it matter if i'm doing it right or does it matter if i'm doing what feels good to me and i just started going you know what? i'm not going to worry about 
PMOS or whatever that little, uh-huh. I don't even know what the, the acronym is for the yeah. this finger and this finger and this finger. The classical, um, the classical train, yeah. and I'm out. I've actually always been terrible. I don't know any covers. I could play you a couple riffs from different covers, but I don't know if it's because I'm lazy or what. But <laughs> I've just never wanted to to follow somebody's rules. Yeah, and I just start doing it on my own. And uh, so anyway, that's kind of how I ended up with the finger style. Was a combination of having somebody tell me what I was doing was good, but that it wasn't coming through. And sometimes we do that. We have yep. really good intentions, but ultimately when they get to the listener or whoever we're trying to do something for, they don't perceive them the same yeah, way. Yeah, it doesn't get all the way there. Yeah. And then there was also just an incident that was very traumatic for me. Uh, I definitely worried, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? I yeah. play guitar. Uh, and just taking those two things and kind of um, you know, using using the criticism and the just the hardships and, and making something more positive out of it. You made lemonade. Made lemonade. That's right. <laughs> so does uh, to this day then does uh, uh, now I want to go back and watch the video I just took of you playing. Um, is it still not work properly? Your ring finger. So it does. Is it? it 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 does fine. Um, nobody can see right now, but it doesn't. It will Imagine. never. If I had to make a fist, you'll always see the ring finger kind of sits out a little bit from okay. the rest of the fingers. Yeah. Um, ultimately, it doesn't affect my picking hand at this point at all. Uh, there is a scar on the finger. And uh, that's about it. Um, so you could pick if you wanted. I, but now I, and I still do, but yeah. actually I, I really, really like the finger style. I yeah. really like how connected it puts me with the guitar. I think it helps with dynamics. And then you don't get this little clicky-clicky that I would get yeah. on the strings yeah. uh, when I would record and yeah. just play. Yeah, and you've got your own sound now. Yeah, you know? exactly. And it's just you. It's, and it's just, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So that's a great transition. Well, I normally I want to do this before I forget to ask. I always like to ask you about the guitar that you play. So, uh, Takamini says on the headstock, but tell yep. me anything else. What, what you is know, it? And I wouldn't be able to tell you the model. I would be able to tell you the inspiration for it. That's what I'm looking for. <clears throat> so, I used to play a Taylor. Okay. And I always had that in C tuning. So, you only play guitars that start with T. That's, That's your role. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, the... The guitar I had, the Taylor I had, I put it in a C tuning, a C A C G C C. For anybody that cares about tunings Open of guitars, Open C major, right? You or know, I don't know what it was. C A G. No, that's not. Yeah, that's interesting. It's it's. I don't even. I think it's like a C six, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, C but, something. Yeah. But I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's another story of how I ended up uh, kind of with that tuning, but nonetheless, uh, at some point in time, I needed to. My my niece wanted to learn how to play guitar. So I went out and bought myself a really cheap Fender and put it in a standard tuning. And at that time, I was reading a, a theory book. And I realized at that moment what it was that I loved about my C tunings was that I had a drone. I always had a note playing in the background. Yeah. And that allowed me to you know just do other stuff, little leads or little melodies or whatever over the top of the chords. And I said, you know what? I wonder if there's something I can do with a standard tuning E. And so I tuned that guitar right away, and I came up with the tuning that I have. And uh, when it came time to, to get a guitar to play that tuning on, because the Fender I bought was not good. Was it a cheaper model or something? very, very cheap. The yeah. action's terrible. The whole thing is difficult to play. Yeah. It served its purpose. But I knew when I went out and got a guitar, I wanted to get something 
the the tailor I have is a 314 CE and the body's very thin okay. and the sound is very thin. Yeah. And I always play with 13 to 56 strings trying to get a little bit of beefiness oh, to it. Yeah. Not yeah. not the standard light. Those are not medium the standard light, considered yeah. acoustic medium, but they're they're a beast to play. <laughs> they they are a beast to play. And so I went to Lightning Joe's there in uh, an AG, yep. beautiful guitar store, uh, both for electrics and acoustics. But I went up to the acoustics, and I knew what I was looking for. I didn't know the brand. Uh, I'm not really, I don't really care. I, I wasn't really wanting to go with a Martin. I as long as it begins with a T. As long as it ends with a T, it's, <laughs> it's, it's just, super important to me. I'm just going to ride that joke to the ground. <laughs> yeah. But I found this, it's a jumbo folk. It has a very, very large body. It's a... It's a monster, man. It, it is a it's monster, huge. and it gives me really good bass tones uh, on the, on the low E there. Yeah. So that would be um, kind of the inspiration for that guitar, and I put it immediately into my tuning, and uh, loved it. Loved the way yeah. that it popped, and yeah. um, it just. I said, you know what? This is the guitar that I want to be playing, and as a matter of fact, one of these days, I'm really interested in buying another one to put in my C tuning. Of the same see, of the same style, the yeah. same body, the same everything. Just because I like it, it sweetens up what I do. And uh, I'm interested to see if it, the C-tuning stuff will sound different uh, coming through the larger body. Yeah. And I say it also has pretty clear highs, too. Like, right. you know, big body. Yeah, okay, so uh, <laughs> big body. I could just make jokes about that. <laughs> no, the, the, with acoustics, the general uh, thought is, for those of you who are not guitar geeks like us, I'll try to translate here. Is uh, bigger body means louder, more bass, uh, more powerful overall sound. But that's that's not that's not all it is. Right. You know, the, the guitar, as you just heard in the song, like also very clear highs, but yeah. also the full lows and everything. Yeah, I'm a dreadnought acoustic fan myself, but the jumbo is the one bigger. That's right. Than the dreadnought. Yep. Uh, that's a huge guitar. But it is a huge guitar. Sounds I, great, though. I, I'm not very big myself, so it, it, I'm almost too small for the guitar. Yeah. <laughs> I'll grow into it one of these days. One of these days, yeah, <laughs> when you're an adult, yeah. um, when you grow up. Uh, so we were uh, off off mic before we started. I was really curious about your influences because, uh, as you guys heard in that song, there's something I, I still am not able to describe it, but there's an emotion, there's a feeling uh, in the chords you play and... Uh, the overall, I, I'm all about the atmosphere and the right. the music I write is is I like to take the listener on a journey. Mm -hmm. I don't care about a hook in the chorus or like yeah. a dancey groove. I want like a, an emotion and an atmosphere. And so there's something in your music that I love. And so I, I'm really curious uh, who your influences were. But I've, a fun way to ask that or for you to think through this, maybe this is and maybe it isn't. What was the music when you were really young that you loved when you were a younger uh, person, what was what was your first like favorite band or whatever? Or... I would say that answers to your questions are two different answers. I really, right. really would. Yeah. I grew up in a household where a good Sunday morning was uh, pancakes on the griddle, <laughs> nice mellow household with Pink Floyd's "Dark Side of the Moon" playing in the background. Nice, yeah. <laughs> uh, either side, uh, that or some Kansas, some Hotel California. I really grew up on those, you know, the sounds of the 70s. Uh, my mom, uh, you know, she'd have the stuff that she'd have on, um, you know, Traveling Wilburys or... Yeah, nice. You know, just some just some great, great um, 70s sounds. Obviously, Wilburys would be later, but um, still the same kind of a sound. Those are what I grew up with. And when I... F my, my first favorite song was definitely like Take It Easy by, by uh, the Eagles. Yeah, I, yeah. I had a, we had an old console record player. 
<coughs> I would put the record on. I'd put the needle on. I'd put the greatest hits for the Eagles on, uh, the one with the blue background and the eagle head on it. <laughs> I'd close the cover to uh, the console, and I'd sit on top of that thing. Uh. And I would just sit there for you know the whole listen of, of the record and going, this is just amazing stuff going on. And at some point in time, one of our friends gifted us probably about 300 vinyl records. Oh, wow. That were water damaged. Oh, they no. had left them in a basement or wherever, and these things were just—they were toast. Yeah. Some of them I could—I didn't know what they were. Uh, some <laughs> couldn't of them, even make it out. I no, had to clean was. them, and and uh, so I picked up like you know Jethro Tull's Aqualung at that point, and at that point there Aqua wasn't indeed there wasn't <laughs> even at that point a classic rock station oh. in the local area. Yeah. So when I started getting these these songs, they were just. Aqualung was a dark, dark record. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on here, but I am really digging it. Yeah. And one of those records was Pyromania by Def Leppard. Okay, that one I'm... I know Def Leppard, but I don't know that album. Pyromania so. was their uh, third record, and uh, it just uh, had some great songs on it. And I was super excited about it. And I used to clean my room to that record. <laughs> and then Hysteria came out. And... Uh, I just became a huge Def Leppard fan. That was what I was. I was a just diehard. Loved everything about them. Loved the melody, the darkness. Um, you know, lyrically, I wouldn't say that they were like the most amazing, but at the same time, especially on Pyromania, there was a lot of uh, like purple prose in there, and I love purple prose. I was into fantasy novels at the time, so it, a lot of the music just seemed like it lent into that. Can you define purple prose? I'm not purple prose that. was. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. It was a critique that one of my classmates gave to my writing. Uh, I was writing essays in high school, and obviously I was using a lot of adjectives and just being very um, just verbose like uh. I am. <laughs> and uh, good writers know that you just need to get, it, get in and get out. You don't oh, spend yeah. a lot of time with, you know, just embellishing everything. Yeah. So purple prose would just be, you know, just really beautiful, ornate language, okay. which is great for fantasy novels. <laughs> it can be great for songs. It's terrible for essay writing. Yes. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> so that would have been my background. Cool. Uh-huh. I will tell you where the shift happened. I was going to say, because I mean, I'm not hearing any of that of in course. your music. <laughs> and I will say this. One of the biggest things that would happen is... I grew up on 80s metal. I love the ballads, Skid Row or Warrant or um, Poison, Motley Crue, Guns N' Roses. Yeah. And then for those of us that were in that era, we saw something happen. I remember we used to always watch MTV. Videos were amazing at that point in time, uh, you know, late 80s, early 90s. They were just amazing. And MTV had a channel called, you know, a show called Buzzbin, and they would showcase random bands. And most of the time, you didn't care for it or it was weird or whatever. But this song came on by a band called Nirvana, and it was called Who? Smells Like Teen Spirit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the first time that we heard it, it, it really, you knew you were in one of those moments that people will go, do you remember where you were when? Oh, <laughs> wow. And I remember where I was when, and I yeah. remember going, oh my gosh, something has shifted. Don't Cry by Guns N' Roses was on the on, on MTV, it was making all the rounds, but this song was going to do something. And sure yeah. enough, it just, it just went through the stratosphere. Blew up. 
And that moment in music, nobody understands that. And maybe, you know, other generations will have their moment like that. But that was the last time I ever saw culture shift so quickly. Mm -hmm. All the stations changed. Uh, alternative became the standard, uh, which really bothered a lot of people that were, you know, into that or whatever. But at the time, I wasn't. I was a Def Leppard fan. And the next thing <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm buying a Nirvana record and loving it, uh, particularly as the time went on, the acoustic record that they put out, the uh, Unplugged in New York. So that was a huge change. And coincidentally at that time, or not coincidentally, but just because of that time, these labels didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. They had no idea what people wanted to listen to yeah. because obviously... We went from heavy metal and crazy leads and Ingvy Malmsteam and all this kind of crazy yeah. stuff to heart-shaped box. And, yeah. and they didn't know what to do. And so they just started signing random bands. So I'm working at a newspaper in Pastoral it's called The Daily Press, which we just do local government, police kind of stuff. We do not have an entertainment section to speak of, uh -huh. local or not. And this San Diego-based band... Signed by Geffen, sends out a, a press release with their CD to our little podunk newspaper. Oh, yeah. And uh, my editor is like, yeah, we don't do this here, but here, do you want this record? Uh -huh. And it was a band called Three Mile Pilot. And Three Mile Pilot, the album was called Chief Assassin to the Sinister. <laughs> it just looked weird. The cover was weird. Um, the little write-up they gave about it was weird, and I took it home and I put it in my CD player. And you know, I grew up on Pink Floyd. I'd I'd seen weird before. This yeah. was this was bizarre. <laughs> and for the next like three years, it was one of those guilty pleasures I would put on. It didn't fit into the rest of my music that I was listening to, but I really liked it a lot. And I'd love just putting it on and just you know kind of going to the weird places the, that record was going to. It was very bass-heavy, um, bass guitar. Hmm. And, uh, you know, things like they would play a saw. Oh, and yeah. They would, like, as in like a saw that they would play with a violin. Yeah. And also like a skill saw. And they would have the little <laughs> meh noise oh in the background. Gosh. And everything was just so odd and dark. Yeah. And at that point in time, we didn't have the internet really. It was really hard to find more on these bands and i had a good friend of mine brian who was working at a radio station and uh he started um he know he knew he knew the band I'd, I'd shown it to him and a new band called pinback had come out and pinback was made up of the basis of this band with another local guy down in san diego oh, okay that changed everything <laughs> that was it was Kind of like through my pilot without, and it was still dark, but there was also just like this prettiness. This was uh, undeniable, and I loved everything about it. Was it pin back pin or back. pen back? As in P writing utensil? P I N B A C K. I can tell you where it comes from. It comes from a movie called Dark Star. Okay. Back in the 70s, so bad it could be good. It oh, was, one of those. It was the precursor to Alien. Oh. John Carpenter made it. Bef and um, Dan O'Bannon was the writer, and he also played the character Pinback, about some guy who is the uh, janitor on a on a like a space mission, not supposed to go on the space mission, ends up in the space shuttle when the mission goes off. 
He's not even named Sergeant Pinback, and he hates his life because they've been out. They've been sent out into the stars for the rest of their lives, and wow. he's stuck with these three guys that he doesn't even like them. And <laughs> um, a lot of the samples, a lot of the audio in Pinback's first record is from that movie. Is from that movie. Very cool. So that's uh, that's the back. That's a little bit of background of some of my music. The other band that has really shaped me uh, would be Modest Mouse. Oh, okay. Uh, at some point in time, somebody hand or told me I should listen to them. Maybe they saw, heard something in my voice, and I went and uh, listened to Modest Mouse right around the time that a, an album called Moon in Antarctica came out, and I was instantly hooked. Uh, it was weird. It was nerdy. Um, it was odd, and so that's how I went from being this huge Def Leppard yeah. fan. To being what I would consider, I, I, I most my, my genre I favor the most would probably be called indie pop, okay, or indie rock. Yeah, you know, uh, okay. So I guess the the quality that I you know I keep talking about that I'm trying to define. I like music that uh, I guess I'm I'm nostalgic or sentimental. Mm -hmm. I like thinking about the old times or you know mm -hmm. back in my day. Absolutely. But um, there's a there's a quality to your music that just is like that uh, makes me want to reflect upon the past. Okay. You know. Um, I don't know, and uh, part of that for me, I think, is I grew up in uh, southwestern Pennsylvania where we have long, cold winters. Everything is gray for six yeah. months. There's no leaves on the trees. And, like, the weather, like, really influenced me when I was a young, well, young musician and, you know, teenager and everything. And so some of your music has that. It's more minor key. You know, it just kind of yeah. reminds me of those, like, long, cold winters. You know, what, maybe that's that. something to do with the fact that I did spend six years up in Humboldt. Where oh, yeah. you don't see the sun for six months. I was going to say, yeah, let's tie that together because people who don't know Humboldt, it's yeah. up on the California coast, way up north, and yeah. it's just, it's like, it's northwest weather, right? It's, it is. Uh, it's gray very and yeah. cool. Uh, and you'll have, it'll be foggy, overcast. Sometimes it'll rain. Um, it, it actually is kind of frustrating. When people talk about Northern California, they often think that, they often refer to the Bay Area. And most people aren't aware that there's about 400 miles up above the Bay Area that is really considered to be right. Northern California. The definitions of the people use of California are not accurate. They're not accurate. Because <laughs> this being the Central Coast, we're still on the southern half right. of California. And anybody up there, by half. the way, anybody up there, if you tell them where they're at, they're like, oh, you're down in SoCal. And it's like, You mean yeah. the Central Coast they yeah. refer to? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. When they went yeah. up there, they... To them, obviously, for them, anything below Willits or, or Ukiah, uh, that's SoCal. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, that's so, where they draw the line? That's where they draw the line. Wow. It's a, it's a very large state. It is. And yeah. uh, so, yeah, I can relate. You know, something what you're what you're kind of getting at there probably did come with me a little bit from up there. I spent, uh, it transformed my life. Interesting, yeah. Living up there uh, definitely gave me an appreciation for the environment and uh, definitely kind of rewired um, my brain a little bit. Great. You, you just gave me a great transition because, uh, you know, obviously we talk about music, but there's other stuff uh, that we've already teased about you that is non-music related. So yeah. you said, uh, I think the words you just used were it gave you an awareness about the environment. That's right. Up there. And so you, uh, I forget what I wrote down, but you're, tell us about Earthshine, right? Uh, Earthshine, uh, you know, somewhere along the line, I just started seeing so much trash kind of on the freeways, back roads. It, it was really frustrating, and I'd had a thought for a long time about ways to get out there and get it picked up, and I knew that me just going out by myself, like, that's a cute idea, but at some point in time, like, there's just so much, and I would say with the impetus really began, I was, I kind of worked a little bit um, 
not on a campaign, but with a campaign that kind of went sour because of just, you know, things <laughs> back in 2016. <laughs> and I just decided, you know what, I need to take this energy that I have, this passion I have, and put it into something positive. And that's when I decided that I was going to do a couple different things. There was two things I wanted to do. And one thing I wanted to do was a monthly, just kind of a meetup with people to pick up trash, you know, wherever we were. And just kind of do a little bit of work. The other thing I wanted to do was to hand out bags to people at the beach during the 4th of July. It was kind of like this subtle way to say, hey, pick up your trash. <laughs> Here's there, a garbage can for There you. had been a couple of reports going on about different beaches that during these holiday weekends were you know, kind of getting destroyed. And I'd been there for a couple of the cleanups, and it, it was frustrating. And so I found that just by handing out a bag to someone, you could kind of say, hey, pick up after yourself. And you know what the reality is, is some people just don't bring bags to the beach. Yep. They've got enough things to worry about. they got to remember to bring the kids. <laughs> Everything that goes along with that. Yeah. And so we've been doing that um, since 2016. And every year we do it, it's always such a positive experience. I get to walk along, say hi to everybody. I hand out bags, so many bags to everybody. And they all are either have brought their own or just so appreciative that um, someone's coming around and doing that. And they all thank me a lot. And that's, it, you know, it means a lot to me. So I started just kind of, uh, I came up with the name. Once I had the name, I felt really positive about it. And I started kind of doing the Facebook advertising like you would for, you know, your music or anything. Yeah. And saying, hey, this is what's going on. We're going to be meeting here and we're going to be doing some cleanup. And for the first year, uh, there were no volunteers. Wow. I had maybe my buddy was helping me out um, at the time. And we'd go out and we'd pick up six, eight bags of trash. And I'd take a picture of that trash. I'd post it to our page. And I'd yeah. say, hey, our volunteers are out here making a difference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's social media twist social right media, there. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, yeah. I, I give it the, you know, fake it till you make it. Right. <laughs> And at some point in time, uh, I, my friends, they saw what was going on, and they were really excited and energized about it, and they wanted to help. And over the course of a couple months, just talking about it, you know, different, at different events, different shows we'd be going to, it became something that finally everybody was like, hey, we're going to do this. We're all going to join up with Mike on this day. And we're going to go out there and pick up some trash. And our first major, major one was in Napomo. Had 14 people show up. Picked nice. up two truckloads of trash. Wow. And it was just one of those moments where everybody went, that was fun. Yeah. The same feeling, you know, all of us, a lot of us are musicians or love music. The same feeling that you get from playing a great show or seeing a great show. It's the same feeling you get after spending two hours uh, picking up some trash and just making the local environment look that much better. So that, you know, at some point in time, I had a good friend of mine, uh, Lauren Geimer. She's like, you know, do you have your EIN? And I said, what's an EIN? <laughs> she said, you got to get this number. It's going to be important for you if you ever get donations. Oh, yeah. And she helped uh, get me started on becoming a nonprofit. And in 2018, we became a legitimate nonprofit. 
And we've just had a great time. We do uh, cleanups every second Saturday of the month from San Miguel to Santa Maria. Nice. And then we also do a monthly event every third Saturday of the month at the Riverwalk in Paso. And that's been a lot of fun. And actually, um, just this week, uh, I have taken over the Adopt-A-Street coordinator role for the city of Paso Robles. Oh, wow. So it's just been a really positive uh, thing that I've gotten to work with a lot of organizations and businesses and individuals and groups in the local area. And I, I can't express enough how it's not me. It's all these people yeah. that want to give back. They want to be part of it. There is so much energy out there, particularly here on the Central Coast, of really good-hearted people. And it, it's really fun to be kind of involved in that and helping them go, you know what, this is what we're going to do, guys. And they show up and they know we have a game plan and we get it done. And they look at what we've done and they go, wow, we did that yeah. today. And so, you know, we just hope to keep it going and continue to help, you know, offset some of the environmental impacts that, you know, all this litter is having, doing our part. Yeah, uh, and he's not lying because we tried to schedule. I tried to schedule one for last week, and Mike, no, I can't. I gotta. We're doing a pickup. Yep. Uh, last Saturday, so yep. we're on the a Saturday where there's no pickup happening That's right. or whatever. So, <laughs> so. It, do, it does make it difficult. Uh, yeah. My Saturdays are chewed up at this point. Yeah, uh, second Saturdays and third Saturdays every month for the last four years yeah. have been uh, just doing that. Yeah. So then, uh, is this in addition to a day job? Uh, it have? is in addition is, to a day job. Yeah. I, I sell furniture for a local uh, store called Creative Rents. I've been there, uh, thankfully, for about nine years. My cool. longest time ever at a job. Yeah. I don't uh, think is, I've ever had a job for nine years. Yeah, you so, know, for yeah. me before it was three years. Yeah, um, I worked at a music store. I worked at a video store. Did some construction. Worked at an auto parts store. I've kind of just done a, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Uh, my brother brought me into this job uh, back in 2010, and uh, it's been great. It's um, it's definitely something that having that stability uh, in my life has definitely helped me pursue other things um, without a lot of transitions needing to happen. Cool. Um, well, since we're on the non-music topic, there's always a, there's a fun question that if we have ever have time, I try, I try to get to this one. So hypothetical question, okay? So if you were a character in a video game, okay, what everyday object or tool would would be your your thing that you would have on you in this world, in this video game world? Ooh, that's a <clears throat> that's a really good everyday object. <laughs> Mine, in I tell a video everyone. Game. Is my coffee kettle uh, in there? My pour-over, okay. gooseneck Japanese coffee kettle because I, I'm a master with that thing. So, <laughs> you know, I, I I would I would have to say uh, after spending over 300 hours playing Breath of the Wild, um, the new Zelda title. Oh, nice! And seeing open all world game, open yeah. world, and just seeing all the fun that could have, I would say a, a some sort of a paraglider. That actually <laughs> nice. let me go from the top, the highest peaks, oh, man. and just float down wherever I wanted That's to go. That's great. To. Yeah, I so, thought you were going to say an Ocarina. At no, first, no. You know, it's fine. I bridging mean, some Zelda yeah. gaps here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Is there an Ocarina in that Zelda game? The uh, there's not. Oh, there, there's actually anyway. no musical element that I'm thinking of right now. It's been a couple years since I played it. Uh, this particular Zelda, and I'm glad we're going here because yeah. I love geeking out on video Let's games. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up on Nintendo, so yeah. uh, seeing uh, all that is um, seeing where they've gone uh, is is kind of uh, neat to see um, the progress they've made. 
so yeah, I don't think there's any sort of musical stuff going on. What they did was they just threw out everything that they'd ever done before. And they said, uh, we're just going to build this thing from the ground up and yeah. try something new. Huh. And uh, they just made this huge... I, I'm taking it you haven't played Zelda Breath of the Wild. No, yet. I have not. You're a PS4 fan or... I, I mean, if I play video games anymore, it's all PC. It's all PC. So, right on, yeah. right on. That was always my home base, but yep, definitely yep. grew up in the, in the Nintendo world. Well, though. the cool thing about the, 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 the Switch is that you can just kind of play it on the go. You can get really oh, yeah. uh, small sessions of gaming in for me doing everything i'm doing i'm, I'm kind of like right. doing five things at once all the time <laughs> so i love it if i'm going to be i can play my game for 10 or 15 20 minutes play my guitar yeah. go outside work outside uh, get online and do something for for marketing for for earthshine or whatever yep. and i'm kind of able to bounce around and get the most out of my i guess you would call it add <laughs> if you wanted to put a name on it so yeah i parasol Paraglider. Paraglider was what I would use in the video game world. Nice. So, Zelda, It is. is it like Ocarina of Time where it's an open world, right? You get yes. to roam around, you get different missions you go, or whatever you call You go wherever you, you want it. in the game yeah. right off the bat. That's pretty cool. As a matter of fact, you can actually, if you're talented enough or good enough, you can go straight to the ending from the very beginning of the game. Oh, interesting. Beat the final boss, huh. call it a day. Wow. I don't think that's how I'd ever want to play a game. Yeah, right. <laughs> I want to explore every nook and cranny yeah. and see what is out there. But if that's your your deal, is you just want to destroy the game as fast as you can, that option is yours. <laughs> uh, there, yeah. So yeah, that's the biggest thing with that game was they wanted to create something um, very open ended, more open ended than than most open world games I've ever seen. Yeah, cool. So we'll we'll get back to music in a minute, but since we're on the video game topic, we got to go there. Okay. Goldeneye. Goldeneye. Okay. So <laughs> this is interesting. Um, my first. Uh, You're the easiest guest. I didn't even ask a question. I love it. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> my, my first console that I personally owned and bought, uh, I made a quarter an hour growing up working for my dad, working around his job sites. Made of money. And uh, I <laughs> bought the regular NES. The oh, yeah. Nintendo Original Nintendo. System. It had a robot with it, Rob. And uh, I was all about that game system. And the games on it, things like um, Zelda, yeah, the and original Super Mario Zelda's. Brothers, uh, Tech Mobile, Duck Hunt, Duck Hunt, which I would just take the the, the blaster and stick it to the TV screen and and click so I get all the birds. Oh my gosh! Uh, major Cheater. cheating going on. Um, <laughs> but the game that probably impressed me the most and terrified me the most and just inspired me the most was a game called Metroid. Oh yeah. Uh, Metroid was this hey you don't have to go you can go wherever you want if you can figure out how to get there and use whatever abilities or glitches you can you can just kind of make your own way choose your own adventure almost Yeah. and me being someone who doesn't necessarily like to play by the rules all the time I love that about it and I, when the Super Nintendo came out I thought oh I'm, I'm growing up now I'm not going to have a game system <laughs> bought one for my little brother and then proceeded to play it all the time. Yeah. And uh, Super uh, Metroid came out on that, and I was just blown away. And, and that game definitely went up with me to college, and I played it forever. Well, then the N64 came out, and it was pretty exciting. Oh, great, this is going to be so cool. You know, 3D Mario and 3D Zelda. Those are yeah. just amazing games. <clears throat> 
and I didn't see much other offerings from the system. And I was in college and starving student, and I could just rent the system uh, for my work. And I did. I, I rented the system for Mario. I rented the system for Zelda. And I said, I will buy the N64 when Metroid 64 oh. comes out. <laughs> and it didn't. Never did, huh? Never did. And I was kind of upset by this. I kind of took a consumer boycott standpoint. Oh, wow. And I said, well, fine. I'm just not buying your system. Yeah. And I never did. Wow. So my experience with GoldenEye is limited to going over to my family's house in Nebraska where they all were all about it. Yeah. And I did get in some some first person action on Golden there you Eye. Go. <laughs> but I do not have the maps memorized. I do yeah. not have the guns memorized. Uh, my shooter at that point in time would have been Siphon Filter on the PS1. Oh, uh -huh, never played it. And so for that era, I left Nintendo, the fold of Nintendo, and I went to Sony. And I loved what was going on on the PS1 and the PS2. You were a refugee from Nintendo. I was. And it wasn't <laughs> until uh, Metroid Prime uh, on the GameCube came out that I went, okay, guys. Coming back. Now we're on the same page again. <laughs> so there's your answer. You Finally, say, you say GoldenEye. That's my very that's verbose great. answer to GoldenEye. <laughs> <laughs> GoldenEye, the, the sentence with a period at the end of it. That's yeah. right. <laughs> um, the, uh, well, then uh, the final video game comment... Super Mario Kart. Were you a master at Super Mario Kart in those I, days? I wasn't. Um, ah. I I was always more into the. Uh, I guess again, Metroid was all what I was about. My college roommate showed me these things called uh, JRPGs, and uh, I started learning things like Secret of Mana and Secret huh. of Evermore and Illusion of Gaia and some Street Fighter and some other oh, okay, games. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But Mario Kart was not something that I would really honestly get into. I played it on the yeah. Wii, but it wasn't until the Wii U came out and Mario Kart 8 came out that I really started learning what Mario Kart was all about. So now you have steering wheels, right? They have steering wheels, but, you know, the, all that stuff is kind of wonky. Um, <laughs> that was I had the steering wheel for the Wii. The, the Wii game was okay. But it was really with uh, Mario Kart 8, which I don't think that our podcast host has ever played or even seen, <laughs> uh, has really changed the game. And this game uh, was so good that they even released it on the Switch, uh -huh. which was kind of like a restart for Nintendo. Yeah. And that game has sold just amazingly well, purchased by the same people, same game, pretty much. Yeah. And it's just so good that people just keep buying it, and uh, I love it. I love it. But no, I didn't play Super Mario Kart on the uh, the SNES. Uh, my friends did, and uh, I just wasn't one of them. I, uh, I don't think I got it. My my gaming, my racing gaming up to that point was RC Pro-Am on the NES. I don't think I ever had that one. Yep, so. that, was, that was a great I had one. Nigel Mansell's uh, IndyCar, whatever that yeah. racing game was. But. Pro Pro Am was I was in my opinion the precursor to what you would get from Mario Kart. It okay. had special abilities ah. and uh, oil slicks that would spin you out. Yeah. You could spell RC Pro Am. It's actually one of the first games made by Rare. Oh yeah. So obviously Rare has a Nintendo all over it. So right. um, they would make some of the best uh, games, including I believe Goldeneye. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah. So there bring you it go. Bring it full circle. Bring it full circle. Beautiful, beautiful transition. Yeah. All right. So to bring it back. 
to music. Uh, we also mentioned up top that you uh, host Vine Street Music Nights, which somehow I've not heard of. Yeah. Um, so this is my chance to learn about it. You know, I don't think it's necessarily on accident that you haven't heard of it. It's not like we're out there like majorly advertising. I do put some posters out. Obviously, we have a Facebook page and an Instagram page. Uh, these are house parties. They're oh. house parties that I host at my house. Uh, I've been doing music in my house, I guess, off and on for you know five to seven years. But only in the last like three to four have I just branded it as Vine Street Music Nights. Cool. Not hang out at Mike Campus House. That's right. And, and <laughs> I don't I, know. It's got I, a ring to it. I would I say know. if they started from anything, it would have probably been. Um, we live on Vine Street in Paso Robles, mm-hmm. and we live in the heart of Vine Street in Paso yeah. Robles. And we, when we moved there in '92, we found out that they do this thing called the Vine Street Victorian Showcase. They shut down from 8th Street to 21st Street. Everybody decks out their house with holiday themes. And then uh, it's basically a huge block party. Oh, yeah. And we didn't know this. And we're not necessarily the most, uh, you know, nostalgic for Christmas or anything like that. But we did start decorating our house. And we did start having parties at our house. And when people would come, they would bring their instruments and we'd have great jams. And it just organically started becoming something like, oh, when you go to Mike's house, there's going to be music there and um, there's, you know, great musicians. This Central Coast has some amazing musicians and and a couple of them are my friends. And these are people that I've uh, looked to uh, in the early, especially the early parts of Vine Street Music Nights of just, hey, come on down to this house party. We'll set up a stage for you. And will allow you to listen to the music. You're not going to be listening to bar chatter. Yeah. You're not going to be having people come in and like be telling their life story over cocktails. Um, this is going to be a moment dedicated to intimate, an intimate listening experience for the musician. And it's wonderful. Every time that the people show up, uh, whatever the turnout, whether it's you know 75 people or 15 people. What you're going to get is a one-on-one with the musician and with the audience. And the magic that happens every show is is something else. Uh, sometimes the artists do say that the, sometimes they feel a little bit more nervous. It's such an intimate gathering. Because everyone's shutting up and listening. Everybody's <laughs> shutting up and listening. They can hear every little thing coming out of that yeah. guitar and everything coming out of their voice. And we've had just some great artists there. We had Travis Warren. He's uh, a local talent most people a lot of people know him as the lead singer blind melon but i know him as uh the lead singer and songwriter for double o metro and for rain for rent these are two local bands that i followed back in the early 2000s um along with travis would have been chad land who was the guitarist uh in both those bands and he uh has his own project called axia and then he's been doing a local singer songwriter thing for a while uh, as Chad Land, and he's played uh, several times. Uh, we've got people in Lompoc, such as Jacob Cole and Emily Wren, that have come down um, and made the trip over the two grades to get here. <laughs> and uh, they have played just amazing sets. And uh, we've even got some traveling musicians. We had uh, Jason Achilles from uh, Southern California come mm. up. He is uh, just an amazing, phenomenal uh Looper. He does different things oh, with yeah, looping nice. pedals, and he's kind of a one-man band up there. He did have a drummer with him, but he's pretty much running all the instrumentation. Just had 
an amazing, amazing duo. It, I, they're from Bali, but the reality wow. is, is one of them's from Sydney, and one of them's actually from like Southern California. But oh, wow. they live in Bali right now, wow. and Still. they're a duo called Bullet and Cass. Oh yeah, I saw and that name. They are just a magical setup, do, working together, and uh, kind of creating this mystique about being from the Dust Bowl era and the songs that they would tell from that time. Oh yeah, that's cool. And uh, you know, in addition to just being a great place to hear the music, you get to hang out with the artist. And everybody just has a wonderful time. I have the best guests. They leave my house spotless. Wow, man. Um, nobody has any issues. It's just always a great time. So it's, it's a lot of fun. It is a lot of energy. And oftentimes uh, I'm doing a, an earth shine in the morning and a Vine Street music night at the, in the evening. And it's yeah. quite the full day. That sounds it's like exhausting. It. But, you know, the, it's also very rewarding and um, you go to bed that night like man you do what a day you, you do <laughs> and you wake up on sunday and you kind of see oh there's a little some, some bottles and cans just kind of lying around or whatever yeah. and you go you know what? we had a good time yesterday so sounds it's, awesome it, yeah it's been a lot of fun can't wait to make it out to one you should <laughs> we're going to be starting up again um i would say uh march we usually have an open jam where everybody's just able to bring their own instruments nice. i don't ever know how that's going to play out sometimes yeah. it's just literally acoustic guitars with no PA and everybody oh, yeah. just playing. Sometimes uh, a band will come in and they'll be the backing band for what becomes oh, wow. karaoke. That's pretty cool. Uh, I don't know. I, it's an open jam. It's, I, just it's open let as it possible. Happen, huh? uh, and then around April, through from April through about November, late October, um, we'll be bringing in, usually about once a month, we'll bring in uh, two to three bands uh, per month. And, Very cool. Uh, we have a great time. Sounds awesome. Yeah. Okay. I think... Uh, Song number two all right. is Do. Hey, that rhymed. Thank you. I'll be here all week. <laughs> Are you a poet? Gentlemen. Uh, sometimes I don't even know it. And sometimes you don't even know it. That's, an, that's interesting. <laughs> uh, oh, boy. Um, I'm going to stop this while, while it's not painful. Okay. So, all right. Mike's going to play a second song. Give us a second. All right. Time for song two from Mike. Uh, go ahead. Hey, I, I do want to say... Uh, Thank you to Matt for doing this podcast, for being somebody in the community that's kind of highlighting a lot of the local performers. Uh, there's a lot of people in the local area that are that are doing this, um, and I, I definitely want to give some shout-outs. Michelle Morrow is actually how I met Matt at yeah. one of the Uncork the Mics. She's doing great work in the local area, showcasing performers, doing interviews with them. Um, and giving everybody a chance to see kind of in bite-sized you know, samples uh, music that's, that's going on out there. And, uh, you know, Steve Key, you had on recently. He's yeah. doing the Songwriters at Play. He mm -hmm. does a great job around here doing the same. We are just blessed with uh, just so much music. And somebody that um, doesn't do it as much anymore, but somebody who is has been very important to my playing is a guy named Vincent Bernardi. He's a local artist, and he used to run host a, uh, a music night called The Sanitarium. And that would; those were some really magical times. Makes and you I think was, of Metallica. Um, Sanitarium makes you think of Metallica. Absolutely, <laughs> it was a bed and breakfast there in, in downtown, or by the train station in San Luis Obispo. And I was uh, able to open up just about every music night there with two uh, original songs, and so he definitely gave me a, a, most of my uh, first stage time. 
and uh, cool. he, he did uh, slow tracks. He's played uh, my Vine Street Music Nights and gives gives his blessing and shows up uh, when he can. And uh, so, yeah, just this whole community around here is very organic. There's a lot of people working together um, just to highlight all the talent. And we're very blessed. And again, thank you, Matt, for all that you're doing for being part of that. And I'm going to play a song for you right now. This one's called Heartbeat Soul. And thanks again for everybody listening. But not 
Nice, man. Thank Love that much. song. Appreciate it. Thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me. Any uh, last thoughts or you got it all? I think we're good. <laughs> all it's right, been man. a beautiful day. And Merry Christmas to everybody. That's right. <laughs> Merry Christmas. See you later, man. See you.